Uncle is a short documentary, a cinematic and immersive coming of age documentary following a deaf senior in high school and his relationships as he's on the cusp and they are on the cusp of graduating from high school into a hearing world. That was Matt Oggins, director of Audible, a short now streaming on Netflix. Matt is producer and director known for Go North, Confessions of a Superhero, and Home and Away. Here is my conversation with Matt. Matt, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on the film. It's beautiful, and I found it very enlightening. Can you tell us about Maryland School for the Deaf and its outstanding football team? Yeah, I'll back up and just give you a quick origin story because I think it relates to it is my personal connection to it. I'm from D.C., Maryland, and I grew up 30 minutes away from Maryland School for the Deaf. And my best friend to this day, since I was about seven years old, is deaf. So in some ways, it was a way to connect with him and understand him more and took me almost 12 years to get made. It's a really special place. It's the second oldest deaf school in the country. It's about 152 years old, I believe. And as you can see in the film, it's this kind of safe utopia. You can be anything you want because they're all connected by one major thing, some level of hearing loss. It's when you go off campus, it's when you go off into the world, maybe a less understanding world that there's conflict in their lives. And it's about curiosity or lack thereof, empathy or lack thereof. In a way, I, I made this film with them. I didn't want to make an observational film of my point of view, but I wanted to work with them for them to tell their story. And so hopefully you were on their journey with them. I'll just want to come out and say, I'm obviously a hearing person. I haven't had a lot of experience with people with hearing loss. And I don't mean this is a joke, except maybe some older relatives who struggle a bit. I, I want to bring this up because I think it, it shaped my experience of the film and it's going to shape some of the questions I ask. I come from a place of, frankly, ignorance. Um, That's why we made the film. It's not ignorant. You're open and you want to know and you want to learn. That's why we made the film. And I feel that in that. And anyone who watches the film will feel that. I want to talk just briefly about terminology. I think the participants in the film are pretty comfortable with using the word deaf. I know some people prefer hearing challenged or other terms. I mean, what I learned, I, I use the word deaf. There's deaf and hard of hearing. They don't use hearing impaired, but that's at that school. I can't as a hearing person speak for everyone, but we use the word deaf with a capital D throughout the film, which you'll notice in the subtitles. Can you explain why you use a capital D? I want to mention one of our executive producers, Niall DeMarco. Niall's a pretty famous advocate in activist in the deaf community. He's deaf. He just so happens to have gone to Maryland School for the Deaf. He just so happens that his brother is in the film as one of the assistant football coaches. And so it wasn't just bringing him on for optics, it was bringing him on early enough to help shape the film because the film is not just for a hearing audience. It's as much for perhaps more so for the deaf audience. And I needed to get it right, we needed to get it right. And everything from, hey, let's push this idea further or let's pull back here, or that's not exactly what he said, he really meant this to little things that you think are just automatic and mechanical, like subtitles. When Niall came aboard, how they came up, when they came up, the timing, the flow of them made such a difference that the audience wouldn't know unless you compared the two. And capitalizing D for deaf is one thing I learned from Niall. And something that I learned, again, I can't speak for all deaf people. I can speak to what I learned from the people in Audible, which is that 
being deaf is not a disability. It's a culture, it's community. American Sign Language or any sign language is a, it's a, an official language. Now I asked Amari, I asked all the kids in the film, if I could snap my fingers and you could have your hearing back, would you take it? And they all said, no, this is who I am. This is what shaped me. This is what makes me a better football player. Yeah, I didn't really want to talk about that because your film does, I think, a great job both of saying, these are just people like us, for your hearing audience, I should say. These are people just like us. And yet also it emphasizes that is a distinct culture as well. Yeah. Just as many cultures in the world. In fact, they're not deaf teenagers. They're teenagers who are deaf. And I think there's a big distinction there. They're not, when they play football, deaf football players. They're really good football players who happen to be deaf. Can you talk about how you settled on Amari as your key, kind of the key yeah. subject? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I didn't even put two and two together. I remember, it took me 10, 11, 12 years to, to get made. And I knew I wanted to follow a senior because that's a pivotal moment in your coming of age journey, right? Especially if you're deaf and metaphorically and literally going out into the world. But what that meant is every year I had to recast because those seniors would graduate. And I'm so glad it took this long, as crazy as that sounds, because I really love Amari's story. It's his story. It doesn't represent every deaf senior in, in the country or the world, but in some ways he's an avatar. I, I think there's some tension in his life. For instance, he wasn't born deaf. He got meningitis. When he was about two, he was born into a hearing family and his father left around the time he became deaf. So there's a conflict there in his life that you see in the film. Amari's relationship with Jalen, the gay male cheerleader, a jock and a cheerleader, why are they friends? Well, a tragedy through Teddy. And I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but those sort of tensions or conflicts in terms of storytelling, I thought really spoke to inclusion, accessibility, equality, the themes of the film, Amari and the deaf community having a voice. Can I suggest another reason which may surprise, again, our hearing audience a little bit? I think one of the reasons you may have chosen Amari is because he's an amazing communicator. The way he signs, it's with this incredible fluency. And to my eye, I don't know what I'm talking about here, to be clear, folks. I did not know American Sign Language, but he seems very fluent and incredibly emotive in his signing. He is, you know, it's like any of us, right? Even hearing speaking people, right? Our body language is different. You may not notice it as much because we have our sounds. When I was working with them, you become much more present, right? To, to all of their body language. And American Sign Language, me and my producer, Jeff McLean, we took sign language classes for several months leading up to production. And it's such a special and beautiful language and a very physical language not just your hands and your body, but your face. And you're right, Amari just has this beautiful expression about him, this beautiful body language. Very early on in the film, we see the team, which has been undefeated for a long time, takes, takes a loss, a bad loss to another team. And a lot goes on in the scene. One thing that really struck me, again, I thought it was an interesting interposition into this particular scene is that Coach Ryan will tell Amari, hey, don't take the bait when they trash talk you. And, and you're like, trash talk? And then of course they trash talk. They speak with their hands and their body and they're physical, especially on the field. So like I said, it's a language. It's a different form of communication. You know, they're teenagers. They do the same things. There's relationships, there's bullying, there's everything that any teenager goes through. 
Yeah, this really comes out for me in the lunch table scene, which is a great scene. We go into this cafeteria at lunchtime and we see a couple of different tables. The boys are doing the things that boys, teenage boys do. I have three teenagers under the roof with me here. So I recognize this. They're joshing. They're insulting a little bit. They're talking about who's going with whom to homecoming. They're kids. But maybe this little bit, I, I, it struck me that maybe some of the facial expressions and the physicality is heightened just a little bit. Is that seem right to you? Yeah. You know, whether that's true or you notice it more, because as a hearing person, we have so much noise pollution, maybe that helps you focus more. You know, there's some scenes in the film where you hear background sounds more. you hear a dog barking in the background, you hear um, a car screeching in the background, you hear in that cafeteria scene, the clattering of forks and knives and spoons. And so you're going to notice, I think, body language and expression more too. But yes, I do also think the language is just a more beautiful, expressive language. I don't want to say more, it's just a beautiful, expressive language. In a different way. And one thing that yeah. really struck me again, just opened my eyes to the situation is that you have six kids at the table. They're having three different conversations at the same time, which is very hard for in the hearing world to do. Yeah, we probably do it though. Around a table with each other, there's all we're talking over each other, we're interrupting. We probably are just so used to it. It kind of forces you to pay attention a little bit more because they need a line of sight to communicate. So they're going to focus on each other. They can't have five conversations at once. Maybe Amari is a little more present. A little later, we see another table scene. We see Amari at home with his family. Clearly, it's a family that loves him. He feels loved, I believe, but it's not a surprise that Immediately after this, he reports also feeling a little bit of loneliness when he's in a big group of hearing people talking. And by the way, this experience with a family of feeling both loved by them and feeling a little bit of pain in their presence, <laughs> that's another universal for many of us. Yeah. So just can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Look, they don't know sign language as fluently as he does. I'm not placing blame. But even more than that, they're not deaf. And so... Communication is going to be a little different, but also if he's in a room or a vacation or an outing with his family, they're not speaking sign language. Even if they are fluent, they're not speaking sign language to each other, right? Only to him. And so he's going to feel left out because they're having conversations as well, and he can't keep up with everyone. So access to communication is a big thing, which is why, you know, Amari, a lot of these kids stay on, it's a boarding school too. They stay on campus because it's too far to drive two, three, four hours sometimes across the state. And so Monday to Friday, they'll stay on campus, a lot of them, unless they live closer by. And oftentimes they feel more comfortable. Not that they don't love their family, but it's just the access to communication and people that are going through the same exact things that they're going through. Later on, we'll see a scene with Amari and his father. He was separated from his father for a while. His father left the family after Amari got very sick and started to lose his hearing. And now we see his father has gone through some struggles of his own, has found religion, is now, a, seems like a preacher, at least a participant in the liturgical sermon. We've seen him do other sermons about Amari and Amari's strength. And now we see Amari standing next to him. And I think it's just an amazing scene because it both emphasizes his father's fluidity with the spoken language. He's a very good speaker. He's a very good preacher. And yet Amari's there, but really probably doesn't fully understand what his father's saying. It's just a incredible scene. We did have a, there was an interpreter there off camera. 
that came in so he could understand what was going on. But yeah, it was a powerful scene because we happened to be filming at a time when they were really still and still are making up for lost time, still working on that relationship. It's not like we retrofitted that and, you know, recreated stuff. That Those are real scenes that were happening in real time. So they're still making up for many years of being not in each other's lives so much. The football scenes are very well done. You do some that are really live football games. You do some that seem to be, you're very close on the scrimmage lines. You must have filmed those off. off. Um, I think one of the questions that's addressed to the film that probably hearing people have is how do the players communicate on the field? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because it's you yeah. presented both kind of we're told, then we see it. It's just really done well. Honestly, it's sign language. That's all it is. It's sign language. Now, they have codes, but just like any football team, they're not necessarily describing the play. They have a name for the play. There's a moment in the film where Coach Ryan and, and the kids talk about sort of their secret code. Because remember, they play deaf teams and hearing teams when they play sports, when they play football. They don't want the other team when they're playing a deaf team to see their sign language. So just like any football team or sports team, they have their own codes, whether it's the coach communicating to the quarterback and then the quarterback in the huddle communicating to the rest of the team. But again, they have to have that line of sight. Coach Ryan, obviously great coach, cares about his players and also is thinking about the bigger picture with them. Or one right. of the things he says is once they get out of this bubble, they're going to face some challenges. Can you yeah. talk about how he sees the players and how he works with them? Yeah, look, something that's important to know is he went to that school and he was a star football player there. And his dad was his coach. His dad was the, when I started on this, wanting to make it years back, he was a player. His dad was the coach. He went on to play football. He played at a hearing college and then transferred to Gallaudet and played football for a deaf college and then came back you know, worked his way up to head coach because he was one of these kids. He knows these kids and he knows, as any great coach knows, that you have an opportunity to teach and maybe a responsibility to teach kids a lot more than just the sport. And that sport is a metaphor for life. This is not a sports documentary. Football is just a metaphor for, for their lives, for all our lives, for the challenges. Each game is a story. Sure, he wants to win. But he wants to win more than just winning. He wants to win so these kids can feel like they prove themselves, like that they're worthy, that they're equal, you know, that they're enough, that they're adequate, more than adequate. And, and I think he uses sport, football to teach them those things and prepare them because not all these kids are going to play college football. Not all these kids are going to play NFL football. So you still want to leave them with something. And he does that. One of the other scenes I really find interesting is the ice cream date. With Amari and Lyra, it seems like they're, as many people are at this age, kind of an on and off couple. One of the interesting things, this is one of the few times in the film we see kind of an interaction between them and the hearing world. The hearing world, not their mm -hmm. family. She uses a device or something to order. I wasn't sure what was going on in that. How does she no, order? She was actually, there was these little signs for the different flavors of ice cream. She took one off and pointed at it. What's interesting is around that campus and Gallaudet, which is in DC, is there are some, well, certainly there's deaf community that lives there. So some of them get jobs around there. And then there are some people that learn sign language. And so every once in a while you go into a business and the person behind the counter will know some basic sign language. In that scene, you're referencing Amari goes on a date with his on again, off again girl friend, Lyra, who also happens to be a cheerleader for the football team and friends with Jalen. So there's 
all these connections. She points to what flavor ice cream she wants as a way to communicate. And then they have a conversation after it. And that is one of those, again, don't know American Sign Language, but I felt like I'd under, I could understand the signs yeah. because they're so connected in that moment. Yeah. I like to think that if you didn't have subtitles and you didn't know sign language you were hearing that you, you, you'd understand what was going on. So one of the other surprising things I think for some viewers will be the amount of dancing. <laughs> they seem to love to dance. You have this great scene with four players out in the fields under the lights dancing. Can you talk about the importance of dancing and even yeah, look, music? None of that was intentional on my part, but but certainly knows to quickly, you know, it's a way to express themselves, right? There's so many ways for, for Jalen and Lyra, it, it's cheerleading for Amari, it's football, but also dance. One might think as an outsider dance, they can't hear music. You quickly learn that's not true. The first scene, Amari, he's feeling it. He may not hear a lyric, but he's feeling it. He's feeling the, the bass and the tempo. Towards the end, when they have the homecoming dance, you wouldn't know there's a DJ there. Music's loud. They're feeling that vibration. They could dance better than anyone I know. And so, yeah, like perhaps they're more expressive and that's part of their voice and a way for them to express themselves. It, you know what it also shows? They're just teenagers. There's some scenes that we just sort of like, it's not at all like about being deaf and different. But it's also about being the same. I thought it was really interesting, Jalen's position at the school. And certainly things have changed a lot from when I went to Catholic high school many years ago, I think the openness towards people I've, that I've seen in my kids' schooling is people of different gender and sexuality. And it's just more open. But I did wonder, because Jalen, you know, it's very clear that Teddy was his boyfriend. He's very close with Amari, the, the star football player. I felt that some of the kind of divisions around race that might attend other schools felt a little... Did you experience, like, the fact that they all do share this lack of hearing. I know where you're going. Are they more accommodating? I think so. Now, look, I'm going to caveat it. I'm not there 24-7. I'm not in every room. I'm not at home when they're texting and on phones. They're still teenagers. Is there bullying and things like that? I don't know. But did I feel like it was more tolerant there than I've seen? Yes, 100%. I felt it. I felt more empathy and just... And whether you're black, white, mixed, man, woman, not sure, gay, straight, it just felt safe. And perhaps that's because they all share one thing that we don't share. It's a pretty major thing, which is deficit, if you want to even call it that, in one of their senses. But I don't say that as a negative. It's what I learned is that, that shapes who they are. No. Now, to give Jalen credit, pretty confident person. Let me ask you about the big game. I really got the sense that during the big game, we didn't hear any clearly enunciated words. That was intentional. Our amazing editor, Darren Roberts, really came up with that and surprised me with it, which was, hey, let's equal the playing field, no pun intended, a little bit, and almost make it so it's a similar experience for everyone, right? So we don't hear the hearing team speaking, except that for the very beginning when the coach says something, so we set up and know that it's a hearing team that they're playing after coming off a loss to a deaf team. And so just using just a light music and making it a visual game, Darren felt that was the way to go and, I, and it really moved me. 
Yeah, it works. It's beautiful. So you've finished the film with two kind of sequences. One is, as you mentioned, a lively and joyous homecoming with Amari Shakir's No Smoke playing in the background. And then we see a more memorial approach. We see friends yeah. and family, teammates yeah. gathering to to th think about someone. Can you talk about the pairing of these two scenes at the end of the film? Yeah, look, Teddy is present in the film, whether he's there or not. He's present in the film. He's a character in the film. He's a main character in the film. In fact, I'd say he's a catalyst, both thematically and for change in, in participants in the film. We set that up, but we needed to pay it off and, and it needed to be cathartic. And in fact, that end scene literally was the last scene we actually filmed in the film. It was the last shoot day as the sun was setting. It was raining on the way there. Sun came out as we were filming it. Again, I don't want to give too much away. And it wasn't an idea that we had. It happened to be the anniversary of Teddy's passing from, I think, two years earlier, if I'm not mistaken. And they visited him on the anniversary. And it was something they wanted to do, invited us along because it was cathartic for them. And they wanted to do that after that game and that win and after that homecoming dance. So I wouldn't necessarily even say that that last scene is a downer. I think it's beautiful. You know, what's the last words in the film that I love you? Yes. And how those are enunciated, we'll leave to our audience to find out. Beautifully done. What's up next for you, Matt? I got a few things. I'm currently directing a feature documentary. Can't say too much about it, but let's say it's about a boy dancer in Africa. I just wanted to thank you for having me and highlighting the story. It's really probably the most important film I've ever done, maybe because I spent so long on it, but I spent so long on it because it's really personal to me. I made this film with this deaf community to help give them a voice to tell their story. And I hope being shortlisted brings attention for them and elevates the deaf community and helps further give them a voice and representation in storytelling. This is a beautiful film and congratulations to you. This is a film that's just, just a bit over 30 minutes. And yet I felt in the best possible way that I had been through an incredible story of Amari's life, of all their lives, of this you know, incredible battle in football, two battles in football. It's just, you cover so much so fast. Thank you. You do a lot of clever things to do it. We won't go into right now, intercut things very wisely. It must've been difficult because you want to keep the signs going, but you want to yeah, show. Yeah, look, we wanted to make the film very, I hope you felt it, audio-visual immersive experience. It's not a traditional documentary or conventional documentary, which I've done before as well. It's, uh, it's an experience. Thanks again, Matt. Congratulations Thank again. You. And congratulations to everybody who participated in this film. As you say, you can feel that they weren't just the subjects, but the participants in the film. Um, well said. Okay. Thank you so much. This was really great. Good talking to you. Best of Thank luck. Thank you so much. Michael. I'm looking forward to your future work, but definitely. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye.